Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, good morning again, everybody. Um, Before I begin, we're starting a new three-week series this morning, obviously, on serving. It's called Living Sacrifice. And um, before I begin, I want to point you towards something that's coming up here on our campus. And um, you might want to jot this date down. Um, It's going to be on August the 22nd, 7 p.m. on a Monday night here. And I was asked, I'm an Assemblies of God ordained minister. Our church is an Assemblies of God affiliated church. And I was asked by our network uh, leadership if we would host here on our campus a certain event. I said, yes. Now, this is going to be by registration only because it's a bunch of Assemblies of God churches are going to be registering on their own campus to come here that night. And you're, you're free to register through our website also. We're going to have a sexual identity seminar here because of what's been really being pushed upon us now and really in the culture now. And so we have somebody come in. And how many of you have heard the name uh, Joe Dallas before? Anyone heard Joe Dallas? We've had Joe Dallas be- before here. Um, first late about 2008, I think. And then about 10 years ago, I think we, had him, we did have him about 10 years ago on a, two Sundays in a row. And he comes out of uh, the homosexual background. He's a born-again Christian. His life has changed. And he shares on these things, obviously not popular in the culture like that. But um, there are tens of thousands of people like him, actually. And uh, he shares... And he's an educated guy, counsels, does all these things. And he's going to be our keynote speaker that night. And he's going to share on these sexual identity issues. And he's going to take questions that night, uh, not by microphone, we'll have it a certain way. Um, But uh, you have to register for this. It'll answer a lot, possibly, of the questions that we are struggling with, with what's going around right now in our culture. And so you can go online, our NBCC website, and uh, look for online registration, and it's called An Evening with Joe Dallas. But you've got to sign up for it, because a bunch of different assemblies got church are going to sign up for it. So I would encourage you to do it early. No one under 13 is going to be allowed. That's what they asked us, no one under 13, um, because we wanna, it's going to be certain material that's going to be shared. But it will be very educational, and I think as parents and grandparents, and maybe uh, some of you late teens, you're going to have questions about this too. But Joe will be here. Sign up for that one. Amen to that one, everybody. We want to be able to speak into the culture, what's going on here. So today, um, we are going to begin this uh, three-week series on, uh, on serving. It's called Living Sacrifice. And today, I want to talk about corrective lenses. Now, how many of you, by a show of hands or however, um, you've ever said this or thought this about someone or a group of people this is what you've ever thought or said to yourself. You've said something like, or questioned something like, why aren't you like me? Anyone ever thought that before? Raise your hand. How many know that life, the world would be a better place if everybody was like you? How many, raise your hand. How many know that? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. I want to know. Come on. Be honest. Come on. You could be, it's church. You could be honest. Wouldn't life be better if everybody acted like you, thought like you, made decisions like you? Correct? Correct? Okay, you're all wrong. Okay, on that one right there. But it would be great, wouldn't it, if they all just, you know, if they were just like me. So today, I want to correct, give corrective lenses, because Paul does. I'm going to just talk about what Paul says. 
We're going to go through Romans chapter 12. So you can turn there right now if you're opening your Bibles or app. We're going to go through there. We're going to cover the whole chapter in three weeks. I'm going to cover the first part. But today I'm going to take you, one part of it is, um, we're going to go through spiritual gifts. And I can only scratch the surface on it because you go so in-depth on this stuff. But there are three major categories of spiritual gifts in the New Testament that when we're a born-again believer and the Spirit of God comes to live in us, these spiritual gifts are in our life. One category is found in the New Testament letter of Ephesians chapter 4. Those are the ministry gifts. They're very practical. And then you find another category in 1 Corinthians 12. Those are the manifestation gifts. And then here in Romans 12, what we, they've been labeled as the motivational gifts. It's how you and I just view things uh, through our serving lenses. It's how God has programmed us to serve. We have certain leanings and certain ways to serve other people. And this is the reason why sometimes some of us might get frustrated with other people and think, why don't they look at it this way? Why don't they do it like that? Well, they just look at it differently. And God made them that way. And so today, we're going to look at the different ways that God has made all of us. Amen. How many of you by just thought or question, you married somebody the exact opposite of you? Just raise your hand. I mean, you know they are need, you're not even in the same hemisphere. Raise it up. I want to see. I mean, you wonder how you even get along, right? You want, wait, you wonder how they can even function without you, right? Because they just, they just, they're the exact, oh, Olivia and I, we could not be more opposite. It's incredible how opposite we are. And she's wrong on so many, no, I'm just joking. But, so we're going to look at these things. So Romans 12, what I'm going to do is this. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read verse 1 and 2. Then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that for foundation. Um, um, you know, you got, ladies, you put foundation on? I have no idea what that is. But anyway, I'm going to use that for foundation. And then from there, I'm going to take three points from that, off that foundation, and then we're going to build from there and look at corrective lenses. Sound like a plan? Yes or no? Okay, good. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Very, very well-known, popular verses. Let me read them, then let me give you a foundation off this. It says this. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, meaning the culture, the ways of the world thinking, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove something, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Hmm, okay. So, Paul begins, this is, Paul's the writer of this, he documented this, he's the, he's one of the early first followers of Christ, who wasn't a Christian, he hated Christians, he wanted to destroy Christianity, and yet he, he has Jesus, Jesus reveals himself to him, resurrected, and he turns his whole life around. Now, Paul, he begins by saying, therefore, I urge you, Jim, and all of us who name the name of Jesus. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, when he says, therefore, it's a very important word because you ask, what's it there for? Well, it's like saying, because of everything I've said before, I'm going to urge you to live a certain way, act a certain way, do a certain way. So what has he said before? Well, it's the first 11 chapters of Romans. He has taught us 
who we are in Christ, and all that God has given us in our life. So because of those two things, who we are in Christ and all that God has given us, because of that, he says, I urge you, Jim, and I urge every follower of Christ. Now, what does he urge us? He urges us to be living sacrifices. Now, what does that simply mean? Give yourself completely over to Jesus Christ. Not 50%, not 60%, but 100%. And that's an ongoing battle, is it not? Any amens on that? Now, if you read those two verses, you find that there are some specifics that we are to give over. Notice in verse 1, he says, I'm to give my body, my physical body over to him. In other words, I'm to use this body for the glory of God. I'm not to use it for sinful practices. I'm not even to use it for what I want. I'm to use it for what God wants. I'm to, the words come out of my mouth, the actions that I take with this body, how I treat others with body, should all be glorifying God. So he says, give your body. But then he says that I'm to transform my what? My mind, I'm to renew that mind. Oh, that makes sense because how can I actually live out the will of God in a physical body if the mind which drives the body is not thinking like God says a thing? Any amens on that? So now you realize that the word of God, this Bible which I know by stats and surveys very few Christians read, but this is what should be transforming the thinking. This should be the regular diet of food in our life because you want your mind week in, week out, week in, week out, day in, transform, which makes perfect sense because Hebrew writer says that the word of God is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce to the division of soul and spirit. Does the word of God get in a person, in us? Any amens? Yeah, it begins to rattle around in us. Mm -hmm, that makes perfect sense. Now, once I do that, he says, give my body, transform my mind. Then he says in those same verses, the reason is so I may prove what the will of God is. Now, the will has to do with my decision making. So, I give my body. I renew my mind through the word of God. ongoing, so I can start making decisions of the will that prove uh, what is good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Amen? Are you following me so far? Does it make logical sense? I think Paul's a very logical, logical, systematic uh, theologian. Now, one of the things he says in there, he says, Jim, and all Christians, you don't want to be a conformer. You want to be a transformer. Did you catch that one at all? So we're not to conform to the culture. We're not to conform to the world's thinking. We're not to conform to all of our friends what they think if it's contrary to the word of God. I'm to be transformed in my mind. Does that make sense? Now, what it means is this. I can either be um, a thermometer or a thermostat. A thermometer will always, um, well, it, it's based on the temperature of the room and things around it, correct? And so if I'm a thermometer in my Christianity, I'm always going to bend and be washed around to whatever the latest thinking in. And how many know there's enough false progressive thinking coming into churches right now? How many know that? And so my job becomes even more stringent that I've got to draw the lines of Scripture, not what I feel and what I think, but what it says. So we're not going to be thermometers, he says. You want to be a thermostat. What does a thermostat do? Well, a thermostat, like today, you're going to go home and do what? Why are you going to turn on the air? Because your house is what? And you don't want that culture of heatness to be 
tearing your life apart. Amen? So you're going to turn the air on because you, as a thermostat, want to control the temperature around you, right? That's the same thing Paul is saying here. He's saying, as a follower of Christ, this word of God, that's the template, it's the guide, it's the light, not you, not me. And this, as I renew my mind, my body will now follow and I make decisions of my will based on the word of God. And now I, fit, I set the temperature around me. I don't let the culture set, uh, I, don't, I don't react to the temperature around me. I set the temperature around me. Does that make sense so far? Okay, good. So I need a renewing of the mind. Now, how does this work? It's a very simple process. Um, when my wife and I got married, I've shared before, that she, um, I'm a UCLA Bruin basketball fan. I just, I just love, since I was 11, since his name was Lou Alcindor back in 1966. I, I was 10, I guess. I mean, I wasn't born yet, but anyway, I read about it. But, but when my wife married me, you know, she had flaws, like she was a Dodger fan. But then there was other things, I'm just, I'm joking, I'm joking. There's still a division in our home. But anyway, um, but she didn't really care about basketball. Did nothing about UCLA basketball. And over the years, I got my wife. She started watching what I watch. And now she's as into it as I am. In fact, I think she gets a little more frustrated watching on TV when they're losing a game than I even do. I mean, I'm not kidding. My wife is so into it now. My wife could ref a basketball game better than most people around. Uh, that's a fact. She can do that now. What does that mean? Discipleship, baby. Discipleship. <laughs> now, I really think she's been discipling me all these years. But anyway, but anyway see, her, she, her mind is thinking to the way my mind thinks, and that's just, and not that I tried to do that or anything. Okay, I did try, but anyway, and it worked. And that's the way we're supposed to be in the renewing of our mind with the word of God. So, <clears throat> Here's a big question. We're to be a living sacrifice, right? My body is God's, right? Okay. My mind has to be renewed by the word of God, right? Otherwise, the body will not, will not go according to God. So therefore, if I do that, then decisions of my will will be good, acceptable, and perfect unto God, correct? Okay, good, good. You follow me so far. <clears throat> Here's the question. What is the problem with a living sacrifice? It's alive. And a living sacrifice can crawl off the altar, can it not? I can say yesterday, oh yes God, all the way, I'm going all the way. And then Wednesday I go, I wasn't really sure about what I said earlier. It can crawl off the altar. It can decide that, you know, I know I made a promise, God, but I've kind of been rethinking the promise. See, it can crawl off the altar anytime it wants. When in reality, we just need to realize, when I came to Christ, I died. I'm like Isaac on the altar. He didn't die physically, but he died that day and surrendered his rights. Did he not in Genesis 22? As he became a living sacrifice that day. So with that said, let's take that foundation and now let's apply. Let's get some corrective lenses because now we understand how we're supposed to live. We've got our first corrective lenses. Now let's apply it to personally, why aren't you like me type stuff. I'm gonna give you three points a day all about serving here we go number one in your notes we got to have a correct view of yourself or ourselves have a correct view of yourself in romans chapter 12 verse 3 and verse 4 says this for through the grace given to me i say to everyone among you 
not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Question, is that why renewing the mind is very important? Say yes. Okay. But to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Verse 4. For just as we have many members in one body, there's one body of Christ, Jesus is the head, we are the functioning body. That's the picture, that's the symbol that he uses all through the New Testament. And all the members do not have the same function. Say function. Very important word right there. Now, there's a couple things going on in these verses that I need to point out to understand ourselves. First off, every person that says they are a born-again follower of Jesus Christ, you now are part of a team of believers. Are you not? That's right. You got to be connected. You're part of a team. Okay. Let me, he says, you're many members in one body. So let me try to explain this. So part of a team. Okay. So a week ago Friday, I think it was, um, uh, I was given tickets to go see the LA Angels of Anaheim, California, everything, you know what I mean, which is my team. And they were seventh row on the floor. I mean, there are a lot of them. And I get there, and I was shocked. I was shocked. Because I was there watching the game. Do you know that the players actually showed up? They actually went, oh, Tani was there? You know these people actually went out and took positions on the field? I was shocked. I thought, I thought these guys just watched themselves on TV or something. But they were there. How many are shocked like me that the players were actually in the stadium playing the game? Now, I thought to myself, shockingly, I thought, why is it that they, non-Christian sporting event, understand that they took on, they're on a team, and that team, they got to be in the stadium, on the field, playing the game, in a position, but many, many Christians don't get that, don't understand that. Many Christians sit there and go, well, I don't need to be part of any fellowship. I don't need to serve. I don't need to take up any position whatsoever. I don't need to do anything. I can just watch you guys do it. Isn't it amazing that they understand that better than many followers of Christ? Was anybody shocked beside, besides me that the players were there? Any, no, don't raise your hand because you weren't shocked at all. Okay, now, now, that's the first thing right there. We're part of a team, and you cannot understate that. The second thing in, these, in this point we find out in these verses is is everyone has a different function. That's verse 4, correct? This goes back to the issue of they're not going to be like you. Okay. So, um, I'm trying to piece this together. The beautiful picture that Paul always gives us is that Jesus is the head. You'll find it in Ephesians chapter 1. Jesus is the head, and all of us are the body of Christ. We make up the body of Christ. And the body has different functional pieces. Does it not? One of the worst things is, is if your hand try to be an ear. How weird would that be, right? So you got to think like this in the symbolic pictures. Now, some people... No, okay. Paul says, this is the third thing, Paul says you got to have an honest evaluation of yourself. Okay, what does that mean? He says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Okay, what does that mean? He's saying, don't overrate yourself. Okay, now let me tell you what that actually means. 
I'm gifted certain ways and so are you. If you are ever in a group with me in a leadership thing whatsoever, I will always tell you this. Don't ever ask me to organize anything. Because if you ask me to organize anything and you walk away thinking it's going to get organized, you're going to be mad in about 10 minutes. Because I'm not organizational. I'm the guy that's going to drive you. I'll get in the front. I'm going to drive this bus. Come on, we're going to go. But I don't know how to put the pieces together. In my mind, my methodology is, when somebody says, what about this problem? And I go, I'll deal with it when I get there. How many think like that? Raise your hand. I'm just wondering how many people. Okay, that means you're holy. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> but I, I, I can't organize. Organization bores me out of my mind. Some of you love organization, don't you? You think it's the greatest thing in the world. So I will never overrate myself and say, well, I can organize that. No, no, I really, really can't. So I'm not going to try to gift project myself into something I'm not good at. But I can underrate myself and so can you. That's what Moses did, did he not, at the burning bush? Lord, I've never been a good speaker, Lord. You know, I can't do anything. How many of us in this room, when it comes to serving, oh, I really can't do anything. I don't, I don't have any gift. How many think like that, huh? Let me destroy that myth right now. Right now. Okay, Dan, I'm going to use you. But you stay right there, okay? Because I, I know you'll be okay with it. I got a question for Dan. Dan, has anyone ever come up to you and said, Dan, you have a beautiful liver? <laughs> and the answer is no. No one has ever said that to Dan. Yet, he has a liver. But no one ever said he's got a beautiful liver. So here's the deal. Is the liver important? You can't live without a liver, right? But you don't see the liver. But boy, you better have a liver. Well, you take that idea to the body of Christ. Look, I'm a fortunate guy within my gifting. I get to be, I guess, like a hand. I'm up here. But you know what? Without people operating in the liver department in different capacities, the heart, the liver, the kidneys, all on this campus, I never get to do what I get to do, right? It would never happen. There would never be anything. So all of you who are more behind the scenes, I'm just a liver, I'm just a this, no, you are so needed. You are so needed. And you can never say, I have nothing to bring to the table. You can live without a hand, but you can't live without a liver. And never forget, sometimes the, the, the parts of the body that we think are not so important, they're the most important to the body. And so never underestimate what you bring to the table in the kingdom of God to serve God. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Now here's going to get a little bit funny now. Here we go. The second thing is have a correct view of others. I'm going to read verses 5 through 8 of Romans 12, and then I'm going to make comments. So this should be very interesting. 5 through 8. So we who are many, meaning the whole body of Christ, all of us together here, local body, are one body. Say one body. And individual members. Say individual. So we got individual parts of one body, individual members of one another. We belong to each other. You don't belong to you, you belong to each other. Verse 6. Since we have gifts that differ. Say differ. That's the why aren't you like me part. According to the grace given to us, God gave us these gifts. Each of us is to exercise them accordingly. 
If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. How many gifts is that? One person added that, uh, praise the Lord in this crowd right here. Okay, seven total gifts right there, right? This is one category of three major categories. These are motivational. Now, I could spend weeks on this right here, but we can't. I got five minutes on this part right here. So, every one of you, if you've been born again, you have a dominant spiritual motivational gift, and you have a secondary spiritual motivational gift. These giftings here in Romans 12, remember, it's the way you are motivated. It's the way you look. It's the lenses you look through within ministry. If you don't understand some of what this is, you might get frustrated with other people like, why don't they look at it like me? Why don't they, why don't they see this? Why do they see that? So let me give you just a little bit, just a little bit of what these are. Are you ready for this? Okay, everybody raise the right hand. Every, everybody, please. I know some of you, you pretend like you don't have a right hand. I get it. Okay. So every so often I ask you to raise your right hand if this pertains to you. I know some of you, that was the first time I ever got you to raise your right hand. Okay. 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 <clears throat> so the first one is prophet. You'll see them on the screen. A prophet, you are direct, discerning, persuasive. You have the need to express your thoughts verbally. You've got to say it, man. You want people to listen to you? And when you tell them something, you expect them to repent yesterday. You can be harsh, condemning. You can correct people who are not your responsibility. You're a John the Baptist type. Anybody? Raise your hand. Keep them up. I want to see. I want to see. Raise them up high. Don't be afraid. You're so direct everywhere else. Now you're like, Raise them up. You're so bold everywhere else. Come on. Okay, yeah. What do you think I am? I'm that. That's what I am right there. Now, let me tell you about us. Savannah, did you raise your hand? Scary. No, I'm just joking. Okay. Okay. This is the thing about prophet types. Without us in the body of Christ, the church gets fleshy. The church gets lukewarm. Sin comes into the body. And there's a lot of compromise. Prophets like us will stand up against sin, and it doesn't matter if you say you don't like me anymore or you're not my friend, I'm gonna stand up against sin. Period. Right, prophets? It's just what it is. We're needed, but we're one piece of the whole body. You got you need the other pieces. Then there's the servant type. Now, you see practical needs. You walk around and you look for practical needs, and you meet the practical needs. It's very hard for you to say no to serving opportunities. You can disregard your personal comfort and your own health in serving others. Your family's telling you, you're doing too much, you're doing too much. Every, now listen, everyone is called to serve, every one of us. But servant-motivated types, they look at all of life through the eyes of serving. You will do it all by yourself and kill yourself in the process. Any servants in this room? Raise your hand. Raise them. Come on, raise them up. Be proud. Come on, raise it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Feel better about that, don't you? Servants and later mercy, you're the two highest amount of giftings in the church. Okay. Now, the teacher type. You love researching facts, 
biblical accuracy important to you. You have a need to validate truth by the scriptures, back it up with scripture. But some of the misuses are you can become proud because of your knowledge, because you're very studious. You can criticize, let me give you an example. Let's say I'm up here, because you can be very critical in this respect. Let's say I'm up here talking and I go, John 3, 17 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What was wrong with the statement? Oh, it's John 3, 16. And some of you, when you heard me say it, you go, it's not 3, 17. <laughs> it really bugged you, didn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, got you, didn't I? But you can hear someone like that and say, that Pastor Jim, he quote, he said 17, I'd say, forget the whole message. Everything else is wrong. That guy is wrong. That guy's a false prophet, man. All because I accidentally said the wrong number. That's the way a teacher can misuse their gift. Now, do we need you? Very accurate. Yes, yes. And you're the type who goes, it's not right till I say it's right. Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, okay. Not right till I say it's right. Okay. Now, in your teaching, this is different from the Ephesians 4 teacher, way different. This type of teacher, because you're such a researcher, you got to be careful in your presentations. You have to illustrate. Because if you don't, you're just giving people verse after verse after verse, and they're like, I already believed after the first verse, okay? Give me some application in this thing right here. Now, number four, the fourth one, exhorter. You love face-to-face -face discussion. You're motivated to bring harmony between diverse groups. You, oh, yeah, you love that. You give great steps to guide people to spiritual maturity. But sometimes you can leave people in thinking, if you just do these three things by Thursday at noon, you're spiritually mature. And that's just not true, okay? It's a little bit too rosy there. But for you, exhorters, unity is like heaven. It's like a nice bowl of stew. It's how many exhorters you You just love unity. Raise your hand. Charlie Bacar, raise your hand, buddy, because I know you. Come on, any unifiers around here? That's it. The rest of you love division. Okay. okay. I'm a divider, Jim. Where's the exhorters? We're going to get them out of the church right now. Okay. The fifth one is giver. Very wise with money. Gives quietly. You tend to be frugal. Here's what I like to say about these types. When I know them well, I go, you'd never know they're super wealthy because they look like they should be living under the freeway. <laughs> I'm not saying that negatively. That's just a fact. They're very frugal people. You never know by what they wear, what they drive. They just don't care. They're just good making money. They're good with money. They're not into all the traffic. They could care less. Now, you give by God's promptings. You're not going to be forced by any person to tell you what to give. Now, let me tell you this. Everybody in this room is a follower of Christ. You're all called to tithe. You could say, uh, what? You're all called to tithe. That's what, whether you're doing it or not, the will of God, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect, whether your mind is renewed or not, whether you're good, you're called to tithe. And you should be doing that. But these giver types, they give way beyond the type because they finally come to the realization God has given me this great ability to make a lot of money. And therefore, because he's given me that, I give way beyond the tithe to big projects in the church because this is what God has called me and equipped me to do. Does that make sense? Now watch this. How many givers in this room? That gifting. Oh, good for. They're usually one of the low, smallest amounts of people in the church. 
But, because they can make a lot of money, they can give a lot too. So we love you guys. Now, I love you guys. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) (laughs) Then there's the leader. There's the sixth one. Um, You're you're strong administratively. Oh, wait, let me go back to giving. Can I say one more thing about the giver? A giver, you have, here's one of your misuses. You can use your big gifts to try to control ministries. To try to say, this is how you run it now, and I'm giving the money to it. Don't do that. I've watched that happen multiple times in my almost, you know, 35, 37 years of full-time ministry. No, don't. Shepherds lead the ministry. Never forget that. Never forget that. You give because God is promising you to give, and you trust, and you go with that. Now, the leader, you're strong administratively. You can visualize the end result. You can break it down into smaller tasks. In other words, you like all that administrative stuff? Ah, I don't like. You can encourage people. You're great at delegating to people. But sometimes misuses, you might view people as human resources, not human beings. You might even show favoritism to people more loyal to you. How many of you are that type right there? You administrative type thing. Like, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Come on, raise them up. Don't be afraid. Okay, here we go. And the, the last one is mercy. Now, mercy. Now, mercy is another high amount of people in the church gifted along with servant. Here's your mercy people. They need deep friendships. They desire to remove people's hurts. I don't want them to hurt. I just want to remove their hurts. You tend to attract people with emotional problems because you feel for people, because you're a good listener. And then you give your cell number out. (laughs) And then three weeks later, you change your cell number. (laughs) They won't stop calling. (laughs) Churches need mercy people. Because when people come to church, guess what they need? They need mercy. They need mercy. We need you. You live in your emotions, yeah. You tend to cut people off who are insensitive. You take offense for others. But boy, do we need you. When you're operating healthy, boy, do we need you. I'm the opposite. I'm the prophet. My sister, Lucia, she is a mercy person. Off and on throughout the years. Jimmy, that wasn't very nice what you said. (laughs) Opposites. Okay, now. So we're all different motivations, right? And the combinations are amazing. Primary, secondary. I'm a primary prophet, secondary servant. But the whole point of what Paul is saying is this. Function. You got to function. That's verse 4. If you're not functioning, it's a very frustrating thing in the church, right? Right? Okay, so my garage door opener, after years and years, I I, I finally had to buy a new one uh, yesterday because the button wouldn't work. Man, I used that thing till it had nothing left. And it wouldn't open. I'm there 10 minutes. I go, what's going on? Finally, I'm just frustrated. I went down and bought a new one. Okay, so. Function. You want to function. So we need to function or else it's frustrating. So that's point three. Use your gifts and abilities to serve others. That's all of verse six, seven, eight that we already read. 
function. Here's how you use it. Serve the best you can. Do it. Here's what Peter says in 1 Peter 4.10. He says, each, as each one has received a special gift. Have you all received a special gift as me too from God? Yes. Say yes. yes. Employ it. Oh. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, when he says to employ it, the idea of that word is a manager of an estate. So I have a spiritual gift or giftings, and I'm to employ it, I'm to function and use it correctly as like a manager of any estate would to use the resources to operate correct. I'm to use this thing. So I'm to serve. I'm to, I'm to do what I'm supposed to do. Okay, okay, here we go. So I, my question would be this. Well, how do I know what my spiritual gift is? How do I find that out, right? Okay. You could take tests, and there are tests, I've taken them. And they do, they start you off. But let me tell you the best way. Start serving. Volunteer. Jump in. Do you think when I became a Christian on August 12, 1979, at about 8.30, 8.45 that night, after I got up from my knee from the altar, I turned to my family and said, well, I'm ready to preach. <laughs> that didn't happen, right? No. I came back. I got involved in a group, in a service. It was on Monday nights, non-denominational at the time. And um, they asked me, can you take out, this is 79, mind you, the technology is different wooden sign can you take it up from the third floor with the 100 foot extension cord bring it down because you're young you're 23 carry it down put it out front plug in the extension cord put two floodlights in the floodlights that have those things you can plant in the ground remember those things one on each side plug it in and the light would hit that go enjoy the service after it's over go back out afterwards go pick up the sign unplug the lights bring them back roll up the cord put it up back upstairs and you do that every time you come yeah, I could do that. So I started doing that. And then that led to something else. And it led to something else. And then it led to something else. And led to something else. And all these other else's, I was still putting out that sign. <laughs> and finally, they'd hear me. I'd go up and share testimony. And I was like, because I got to share what I feel, you know, what I'm thinking. And they said, we think you can preach. And I'm like, oh, no. You know, what? what? Oh, okay, if you think so, how don't you give it a shot? And now, and I gave my, my first message. I was about 24, 24 and a half years old, and I gave my first message. And finally, it started to funnel down, funnel down to this is what I am. This is how I'm gifted. I'm a prophet motivated. I'm going to tell you where it's sin. I'm a servant motivated. I'll get my hands dirty. That's the way I'm gifted. I'm, a, I'm an Ephesians 4 uh, a prophet teacher I'm very applicable uh, application oriented in my teaching it's who I am I, you know you figure it out as you get involved but you'll never know otherwise if you don't get involved you'll never find it out and you'll go through your spiritual life with blinders on and never know what could have been and how God has gifted you if you don't serve last thought okay <clears throat> so we had communion remember that anyone remember that great memories by the way that was all like an hour ago, but anyway. So Jesus there that night, he, um, he gets up and he, and he turns to Judas and he, he hands him some of the bread. And he says, what you do, do quickly. Now Jesus knows, he's always known that Judas is stealing money. He's the one who's going to betray him. You back up 
to Psalm 41.9. David writes a thousand years earlier. He writes the prophecy. It's a dual application prophecy of what David's going through, but what the Messiah to come was going to go through. He says, my friend, this is the prophecy, a thousand years, my friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. He betrayed me. He will betray me. Flash forward a thousand years. And Jesus takes his bread. And he hands it to Judas. Now that's a sign of unconditional friendship on Jesus' side. Judas takes it. He takes Jesus' bread. And he splits. He wants no relationship with Jesus. He's going to go sell him out for some more money. And he leaves. It's a guy that walked three years. He walks three years with Jesus. I don't want any relationship. I'm going to go sell you out. Just give me the bread. Just give me the morsel. If there's any clear sign of a worldly Christian that I, I don't know what there is, that's got to be it. That we take only what Jesus gives. Give me, give me, give me. Here's what I'm praying for. Give me, give me, give me, give me. Take his bread. Take his bread. And we give nothing back. We do nothing back. I, yeah, thanks for the gifts. Thanks for the abilities. Thanks for the money. Thanks for the time. Thanks for this. Give me. Give me. See you later, because I don't need any relationship with you. Just want another message. Just want another teaching. Just give me. That's a worldly Christian. And we should never be that way. There's 11 other guys stayed at that dinner that night. And in their hearts, at least, they were ready to go all the way with him. And they did. And they eventually became martyrs, pushing that gospel, serving Jesus, because they wanted the giver more than the gift. So they were willing to give their gifts in service to Jesus Christ. That's Christianity. Nothing less. Nothing less. I want you to stand there with me and I'm going to pray now. I don't want anybody moving around. I know the restaurant's waiting. But just please. Today, just please. I'm going to pray. God, we're, we're called to function. We're called to do something. You've gifted us for what? To not function? We need help. We need people to serve. We need people to volunteer. That's what we need. And I pray our hearts have been moved today and that we truly become a living sacrifice but not one that's going to crawl back off the altar in three days. Thank you, Lord. Now look up at me. Here's what it is. Here's what this is all about. We need help in various positions, like 55 serving places in the church, in different departments. We just need help. You know, after COVID, we just didn't have our full serving people come back. It just happened. And hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people watch us online. They're just not going to come, you know. And so we need help now. If we're going to continue, if we're going to start to reach out to a lost world that's so upside down, we just need help. We need serving. But you, more than that, you need to find out where you're fitting and start serving somewhere. We have these wooden things outside me, then they've got these um, cards on there. Ugh. 
This one happens to say Usher. But there's a lot of different ones. Go out there, pick one up, put your name on it, email, number on there, and you'll be contacted. But we need help. We need you now. It's not like somebody else will do it. Stop. stop. Don't do that anymore. Don't do that anymore. You're a living sacrifice. Start to volunteer someplace and help us out. We want to keep expanding. We want to keep going. We've already sent like overall about 65, 70 people. A lot of them are servants. We want to start the, the Riverside campus. And so we need help to continue to expand, to continue to go, to continue to reach people. Because the local church is the greatest thing on planet Earth. Is it not? It's the hope of the world. Whether hope is there, we've got Jesus. So as we close, as we conclude, if you need prayer for anything, to my left or right, they'll pray for you. You have a physical offering? God bless you, tithers. You could drop it in either one of the buckets or boxes there. But go outside, look at all the serving opportunities. Pick one, fill it out. Turn it in out there. But don't crawl back off the altar once you fill it out and say, well, I changed my mind. Let's do that. God bless you guys. You have a great day, and we'll see you when we see you. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.